Hello and welcome to the Path 11 podcast with your hosts, April and Mike. April is on assignment this week. For my guests, we are honored to have back Todd Akamesis. Now, Todd was on the show back in June on episode 10 and 11. And if you don't know who Todd is, I advise you to check out those episodes where he gives a good backstory of his life. In this episode, Todd explains what he's been up to since he's been on our podcast and some of the synchronicity walks he's been on and his hitchhiking adventures. Now, as a disclaimer, in the United States, hitchhiking is illegal in most states, so check with your local laws before you start hitchhiking. I was reading something about this the other day, actually, an anomaly where where uh, um, like the Bernstein Bears, have you you heard anything about that uh, phenomenon? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you know people feel like you know people have died, and I've had a couple instances like that in my life where I thought somebody was dead who wasn't dead, and then you know they were in a film again. I was like, I thought that person was dead, and you know it it is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even you know, with the deep exploration work that you know some of us do, there are things like that that really do kind of stand out now and again when you when you do kind of look at it a little bit deeper with uh, a bit more scrutiny yeah uh you want to talk about the Berenstein bears at all um i haven't really put myself enough out there to to you know that what i've just that little sound bites about most you're gonna get from me i think <laughs> because I, it was literally just something i read as an aside the other day when i was doing some research and it kind of popped up on my radar briefly and i just took a little look at it and uh i couldn't remember because i know they were my favorite um you know, sort of childhood storybooks, um, yep. without a doubt. Uh, but I, I honestly couldn't remember if it was Bernstein or Bernstein or whatever. And so to me, it, it was just, you know, curiosity because they were my favorite uh, storybooks. But um, yeah, beyond that, I didn't really dabble too much into it. So yeah, no, sorry about that. No, <laughs> but I promise right. we've got lots of the good stuff to talk about. You're officially the first returning guest. So I was very honored by that. I noticed that. Yeah. I was really honored, so thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we we like talking to you. Our biggest response from your first show was that the synchronicity walk and just going out in the town and, you know, either by yourself or with a group of people and just rolling dice and <laughs> seeing where the synchronicity goes. How many times have you done that since the last show? We've We've done a few synchronicity walks since our last podcast here in London. Uh, we've inspired a bunch of people from around the world to to do their own, which was uh, phenomenal. And you know, people from individuals asking, you know, would this work just one person? Uh, groups asking, would it work in you know tiny little towns and villages and hamlets? And you know, all the way up to you know big groups. So you know, it was quite a quite a phenomenal response. And I'm really. I'm quite honored to be back on the show to to talk more about synchronicity, and I'm very, very keen to share some of the latest experiences that we had because they've led to some really deep insights. And I think this is the thing I love about uh, you know synchronicity manifestation, or you know going to workshops um, you know on any sort of subject because ultimately I find that when we go to workshops or we we read books on areas that we're already familiar enough with we're 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 deepening our knowledge we're we're you know sort of really allowing that knowledge to sink in to the point to where we start to see how it dovetails together and and we get to a point of wisdom so yeah we've got a lot to talk about and i'm really really quite excited um and i guess if if i just catch people up who might hear this for the first time 
um, with regards to you know what we do. We I would typically living in London. Uh, I regularly organize what we call synchronicity walks for demonstrating you know the raw power of synchronicity to what I would call the uninitiated. You know, it doesn't really have to be people who already believe in this stuff. I, I'm more eager to explore with people who have never experienced this stuff. You know, they might even call themselves a skeptic. So what I would typically do, I'd advertise the walks in, in windows in London's alternative cafes, bookshops, you know, spiritual hangouts. I'd, I'd just put something as simply as the date, time, location, and, you know, a simple little advert, um, something along the lines of take a spontaneous walk across London with your subconscious as your guide. Uh, be open to having your path nudged at just the right moments to experience synchronicities. Um, and, you know, it always gets a good turnout. Uh, I think, you know, the, the average walk we, size we have is about 20 people. We've had up to 100 people on a walk. Uh, which was really quite cool to experience. Uh, you know that amount of that volume of people walking across London as a group. Several people sort of fell through the cracks of reality, which is interesting in itself because you can't always keep track of everybody. But no matter what, they would have enjoyed probably their own solo synchronicity walk. But what would typically happen is people would show up on the day at the time uh, designated and at the location chosen, and I just very quickly explain there's no real form, formal plan to the walk. Uh, there are only five basic guidelines to following, you know, uh, to, you know, to follow. Um, one would be we, we have dice. So we, we roll dice at all the crossroads that we get to. If it's, you know, four, four different directions you can go. If we have two dice, then we would nominate. If we go left, that would be one through three on the roll of the dice. Obviously, you can't just roll a one on two dice. But you know, there you go. And then for, you know, another direction, we'd nominate four through six and so on. And then we roll the dice. And if it came up something like a six, then we'd go in the direction that we nominated for six. And this way we, we let go of all need to control the direction, which helps us get into a real state of non-resistance, which I think, you know, really gets us deep down that rabbit hole of consciousness and, and to where we can start to experience realities within realities. Um, the other guidelines... Uh, we let go of any need to control the outcome. Uh, we trust our intuition, and I ask people, you know, to really deeply trust to the point where they're not second guessing their their first instinct, because I find that first instinct is usually the right one, usually the one that um, is from that that you know voice, that inner guidance system. Whereas sometimes, if we hesitate, doubt comes in, and then we hear our ego talking, and that can sometimes. Um, lead us in a completely different direction. And it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the wrong direction. It's just a different direction. And then, you know, one of the final sort of bits of guidance I'd suggest people, it's a matter of being open to experiencing synchronicity. So, you know, this is the basics of what, you know, this idea. And on the previous talk, uh, you know, I shared some of the examples of what happens when on these walks and people really courageously trust to follow the guidance, uh, and you know, if if you know you're happy for me to to share an experience at this time, I'll I'll go straight into it. Yeah, sure. I'm yeah, to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> um, so you know, on a beginning of each walk, what we'd typically do is we'd um, we'd first nominate two people to hold the dice, uh, so one each, 
And and that just helps to, to let go of that controlling element that little bit more, just to make sure one person's not manipulating the direction, you know, even unconsciously. So two people are holding the dice. And they, they roll the dice at the very beginning so we can get a, a, a group number for the night. Uh, so we, we get our, our group number. And the, the idea behind the, that number is, you know, we, we then use it to, to sort of follow the signs throughout the night based on that number. Uh, so, for example, on this night, uh, at the start of the walk, we rolled the dice and our, we got the group number, which was the number two. And, you know, so after getting deep into the experience, after many rolls of the dice and we were maybe 30 minutes or more into the walk where we'd already had a lot of back-to-back synchronicities, we came to this one point, which is really of note. Uh, we we have other mechanisms for getting really lost into this, uh, totally immersed into it. So there's no element of control. We're just completely in the flow. And somebody had an umbrella with them. And so I asked this woman to come forward into the, in the, the middle of the group and to close her eyes, point the umbrella outwards like an arrow, and then to spin like a top. And the idea was she would then spin with her eyes closed until intuition came in and, and, you know, sort of nudged her to stop. And whichever way direction the, the umbrella would be pointing, that's the direction we'd go. So she did this and she started to spin around and around and around. And within the moment she stopped and she's pointing the umbrella, she opens her eyes and she's pointing the umbrella sort of diagonally across this, london square this big london square and we can see there is a there's an exit on the other side of the square there's where there's a road and so we thought okay fine we'll we'll follow this you know and and the idea is that when we're giving information like this we have to follow it we have to really trust that inner guidance system kind of like your you know your gps and um or a sat nav as we call it over here in the uk uh in your car you know you don't put in the the sort of address into your uh, GPS and then suddenly decide when it tells you to go left, oh, no, I don't, I don't think that's the right way, and you go straight. You know, we, we trust it. And so it's the same with that inner guidance system. You know, it, the universe is, I find, very self-organizing, very self-correcting. Uh, sort of so at any point, if we get off our path, you know, if we just trust it enough, that inner GPS, that inner sat-nav will get us back on track. So, so as she's pointing this umbrella uh, diagonally across the square in the direction that synchronicity wants us to go, this guy suddenly, uh, a businessman, comes out of this building, just strides out of this building as if he's got great purpose, uh, really moving with speed. And he's heading in the exact direction the umbrella is pointing. So I said to the group, okay, follow him. And so, you know, there's literally, there was about I guess 20 or so of us on this walk and we're all following behind this guy. Um, he wasn't aware that we were following him and it would have been curious if he would have learned that we were, cause that can always take it a little bit, you know, into another direction, but we followed him and we followed him to a point where we got to uh, a crossroads in London known as Regent street and Oxford street. And we have our subway system, which we call the underground. So he went down into the underground to catch a train and saw, you know, we energetically thanked him for unknowingly taking, you know, part in our walk. And, you know, we, with that point, we decided, okay, 
you know, what else is here? Let's now look for our group number again, the number two, to see if we can recalibrate once again, like the GPS. So once again, our group number was number two. And the moment I said to everyone, start looking for the number two, uh, we have, you know, all, all kinds of weirdly named buses that go through London with, you know, kind of numbers as well as letters. And this bus drove by that, that said, it was perfectly timed, it said C2. So it was the letter C and the number two. And so I was saying to people, okay, well, obviously, you know, the universe wants us to see the number two, um, you know, which again is our group number. So let's really pay attention. So we looked around to see any occurrences of the number two, but nothing was obvious until one of the women in the group spots two ladies just standing talking to one another on their own. And, you know, they, they were just strangers. They weren't part of our group. So I just thought, okay, yeah, why not? So the 20 of us sort of walked over and surrounded them. And, and I quickly said to him, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, pardon the interruption. Um, you know, we're not tourists. We just wanted you to, wanted to find out if you'd, if you'd assist us for a brief moment. I explained we're on the synchronicity walk. Uh, we're going along across London experiencing occurrences of synchronicity, you know, uh, which are meaningful coincidences. And so we don't want to go to any touristy destinations. Can you just sort of intuitively, without thinking about it, just point us in a direction and then we're going to follow that direction. And so she did that. And I thought, you know, like most people will, she might put some thought into it. And I thought she might choose one of the four major, you know, in roads that lead from the intersection. But she pointed to this sort of uh, alley way that was a little bit further along. And I thought, oh, okay, that could be interesting. So we thanked them. We crossed the road. And when we got over to the alleyway on the building right next to the entrance of this alleyway was the number 222. So now we're getting these number clusters. You know, it's, it's really, you know, again, we took it out of our hands completely. We asked a complete stranger to guide us along our path. So we had no involvement in that except for asking them to take part. And she chooses this corner where we have this occurrence of 222. And she had no idea our group number was number two. So that was quite special. So as we're standing there looking at the number of the building, 222, and, you know, really gobsmacked and our, our jaws are already dropped open with this, you know, this wonder, this guy comes zooming out of a shop, one of the high street shops, one of the major, you know, um, retail outlets on that on that road and he goes running down the alleyway and then literally a few seconds later these security guards come chasing after him so obviously he was a shoplifter and these security guards are chasing him and he they, they all run right past our building with you know the 222 on it so i said to the group follow them so <laughs> we all now start sort of breaking out in stride and we're and we're following you know this shoplifter and these two security guards and, you know, it's these sort of spontaneous moments that really allow us to, to let go of any unconscious control we might be using to influence the walk, which helps, uh, helps us get, you know, even deeper down that rabbit hole. So, you know, what we did was we followed them for as far as we could, but a few people in the group really couldn't keep up um, uh, based on their, 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 their physicality. So we, we eventually sort of, again, energetically thanked our unsuspecting shoplifter and security guards that briefly served us as white rabbits to get us fur further down that rabbit hole. So, you know, I think it just at this point, it might, it might be, you know, a good, a good point to a good place to just say, to mention that, you know, 
these sort of the people that were on the walk that were a little bit, you know, older, maybe couldn't quite keep up at the stride that we were trying to keep up with the security guards. You know, they served an important role because let's say that, you know, when they're slowing us down and we can't keep up, maybe somebody in the group, somebody else who's a little bit impatient with the people that are lagging behind, you know, it really serves them as a reminder that in that moment, not to take yourself too serious. You know, if you're taking yourself too serious, you're not in that state of non-resistance, which is an amazing state to be in to experience this stuff. Because otherwise, you know, through our overly controlling stuff, we can miss a lot of good stuff that's going on. So, you know, once again, you know, remaining in that state of non-resistance, you know, you really let go of and, and let your inner guidance system recalibrate your journey along the way. So, I wasn't worried that, you know, we weren't meant to keep up with these people. We just took it over from there. So once again, you know, it's it's trusting that GPS, that inner satnav. Um, you know, the u- universe really is self-organizing. It's self-correcting, and, and which means you're, you know, you're willing to surrender that control. You know, um, you're, you're feeling lo- if you're feeling lost in life, as an example, you know, your inner guidance system will, will get you back on the path, you know, that will help you find or will help you find a new one. It's, it's just to take a moment to let this really sink in because, you know, if you can really learn to deeply trust your inner guidance by having that courage to, to take, you know, any actions you're being shown to take by synchronicity, you're always going to find ways to fulfill your life's purpose, which for, for everyone, I feel, you know, is fundamentally the same. Um, you know, ultimately, I don't see purpose as something we find uh, or something I, you know, I, I see it more as something, you know, we are. You know, the ego will have us believe our purpose is something separate from somehow or something outside of us. And and fundamentally, I think, you know, who we are is love. So, you know, if if we all have the same purpose, you know, to, to love and be love, to be the light that transforms the darkness, you know, wherever we are um, in whatever way we can, you know, just don't allow the ego to, t- to make us think this is not a worthy purpose, you know, to be loving. Um, so, you know, these walks literally can bring out all this stuff and really be these powerful insights, you know, where people can see how even their ego is getting in the way, you know, the ego, which, you know, to me, you know, this is not who we are, uh, will make us, you know, always think this, this can't be the path. This, there's something else that's more special. I just know it. Uh, so we, we spend our whole life sort of not being who we are in order to satisfy the ego's search for, for that one special purpose. And if you've had a, a few signposts emerged, then to me, you know, like on these walks, cultivating a mindset of non-resistance is really necessary for faithfully exploring that path associated with all these signs. So like on, the, on this night when we're getting all these signs to follow or to suddenly stop because there's people that can't keep up, that's part of the signs too. We have to really deeply trust that that's part of it and that once again, you know, that inner satnav will take over and it will keep us on track. But you know, it's having the courage to really deeply feel that. So, you know, to me that, you know, then leads us on to, you know, this idea that, you know, essentially, you know, there's, there's just a one or, you know, maybe two systems of thought, you know, one is a thought system of love, one is a thought system of fear. And, you know, in that moment, you know, if somebody is there, once again, having this fear that somebody is slowing us down, and we're going to lose the trail, the scent of the trail, you know, we have a choice in that moment. We have a choice to choose between those, you know, two thought systems. You know, if you think with love, uh, if you think with love when a signpost appears, you know, you're more likely to to walk that path, you know, with with courage by trusting your inner guidance and 
and taking the accompanying inspired actions, you know, um, however, you know, think with fear and habituated beha behaviors of old will just take over as your guidance system. And if that happens, you know, it pays to remember, you know, you're, you're not exclusively of this world. You know, that always really helps me. You know, we're, we're not just human. You know, there's a part of us that, you know, at least in my belief system, in my way of thinking, my philosophy, there's something of us that's outside of this world um, that has that bigger perspective, perspective um, that bigger picture of our life. And recalibration can easily occur by just giving that task over from the ego to that true self. Uh, because, like I already said, the universe is self-organizing and self-correcting. So to me, it's just, you know, trust it will steer you back to your intended path as easily as your car's GPS. You know, recalibrates your journey plan when, you know, we accidentally take the wrong turn. But, uh, yeah, I've, I think I've taken a big segue here, so I'll just finish <laughs> off this little story. Um, so the average time we spend on a synchronicity walk is about, I think, about an hour and a half for most, most occasions. And that seems to really work out well. And on this particular walk, um, it was coming down to the last five minutes. And we were suddenly guided into an alleyway that turned out to be a dead end which seemed to be a, you know, an instant disappointment uh, to people, you know, because they, they had this thought of finishing the walk in a dead end. It was a big anticlimax after all the back-to-back -back synchronicities. But I reminded people to, to once again, to remain in that state of non-resistance and, and search around for any sort of sign the universe might have there to show us that we're, we're you know, in the right place at the right time. Um, and I also shared the idea with them about, you know, the, the trickster aspect of synchronicity, because this is something people will experience regularly. You know, this trickster aspect is there, you know, to remind us not to take ourselves, you know, or life too seriously, because ultimately synchronicity is not a human consciousness. You know, it's not human consciousness. It's non-human consciousness. Uh, it doesn't play by human rules. You know, it doesn't play by our, our you know, illusions of lack and limitation. So I said to people, look, search around, uh, see if you can find our number, look for a newspaper on the ground. You know, if you find one, turn to the page, turn to page two and see what, you know, see, see what might be there for us. So as people are looking around, I suddenly noticed there's an entrance to an apartment uh, building in that alley. And it just became obvious. It was, there was a buzzer for the number two apartment. So I called everybody over and I said, look, this is an occurrence of number two right here. And everybody, suddenly it was that, you know, that sort of socially acceptable, um, you know, um, collective cultural trance was kicking in. People suddenly became very inanimate, almost, you know, you know, fearful that, oh, we can't, we can't invade somebody's privacy. We can't push that button. And so I just took the lead and I pushed the button. And, and then like 10 seconds later, this, this voice comes over the intercom says hello and I and I explained to him I said hi um, we're doing this walk um, across London we're not tourists we're just sort of having a bit of fun and and uh, experiencing meaningful coincidences that lead us from one point to another and it led us to your door and it went silent for a few seconds and then the guy came back on the intercom and he said well come on up <laughs> and, and it was it was just you know so spontaneous um, you know the the guy you know, in for his part, it, he didn't have, you know, it almost like it, it, whatever he was doing or whatever level of the cultural trance he might have normally been in, you know, this, this just was like a state breaker and he buzzed us in and 
everybody's, you know, I'm holding the door open for everybody and everybody's going up to this guy's apartment. And, and then this last guy who wasn't part of our group, uh, was coming in the building at the same time, you know, someone who lived there, a resident of the building. And he went, he asked me what we're all doing. And I and explained that, you know, what we'd just been doing and we buzzed this guy's door and we're going up to meet him. And the guy was like, Oh wow. He goes, you know, I've lived here for two weeks now and I haven't met any of my neighbors yet. And I said, well, then this is an opportunity. Come up with us. You know? And, and we get up to this guy's apartment and he opens the door and he's holding a baby and his wife's standing behind him. She's holding a baby. And they just had these warm, inviting smiles on their faces and they welcomed us into their home. You know, there was, you know, the 20 of us plus this other neighbor who now had this perfectly timed moment to meet a neighbor in his building that for two weeks he hadn't been able to meet before because, you know, sometimes we can be very closed down human beings and we don't you know, sort of put our energy out there too much, uh, especially in big cities. I think we can find it to where we restrict ourselves so much out of, you know, this social conditioning of fear of other people and fear of other people's beliefs and fear of other people's ways of life. But here we are now, you know, all, all these people with, you know, this deeper connection beyond all that, you know, cultural conditioning you know, feeling that deeper connection, that true sort of self. And we had a fantastic evening with them. You know, they made us cups of tea and they they had sort of uh, snacks that they shared with us and we shared our story for the night and neighbors met neighbors. And it was just absolutely, you know, the deepest magic that you can experience just purely because we followed our inner guidance and we trusted, you know, and we had the courage to to take the actions that we were being shown to take. So, it was just really special. Uh, how did they take the story that you told them about following the two with the lady on the umbrella to the uh, the, the shoplifter? How did they take that? Well, um, <laughs> I think in in really good spirits and with great curiosity, uh, even the the neighbor who came through the door at the same time of us, uh, who'd you know been living there for two weeks, you know. I think when people hear this stuff, you know, at first there might be that skepticism, but when when they, you know, at some point when you start to, uh, you know, discuss the, the the deep stuff that yeah, okay, fine, um, synchronicity, you know, it's it's meaningful coincidence and it's meaningful to the observer. So, you know, they hadn't observed much of it except for that very last occurrence of synchronicity. Um, you know, you think about it, the guy, for example, the neighbor who came in the door at the same time of us if we'd gone a different direction you know or if we'd been there five minutes later there's a possibility we you know he would have never been introduced to his neighbors so you know i think sometimes people can see that profoundness and it can it can really you know really touch them and, and make them think in a deeper way and start to see that you know um reality isn't what it at first appears on the surface. And I think this is the thing that we need to do. We need to to learn to, you know, look beyond the surface, to to see these realities within realities, which are always there, which, you know, would take me uh, to one of the stories that I talked about on that night while we were in this apartment with, you know, these new friends, you know, just to give them another insight as to what, you know, we're experiencing with these, like I said, realities within realities. It's kind of like, um, Captain uh, Captain Cook uh, that went you know navigating the globe globe with one of these tall European sailing ships and it's reported in his log that when they got to some of the South Sea islands 
some of the islanders when the you know captain cook uh, you know sort of if you like anchored at sea the big tall sailing ship and then his men got into the small rowing boats and started rowing towards shore you know it suddenly some of the indigenous peoples on those islands were very frightened all of a sudden because they 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 just sort of saw these rowboats kind of come out of nowhere because they had what um, I would term belief system blindness. Um, you know, their current beliefs, they didn't have anything within it, such as a big, tall European sailing ship. All they had was these small canoes. And, you know, their small canoes were, the, the you know, in comparison, the same size or similar size to the rowboats that the Europeans were using to come to shore. So, of course, they could see that because that was within their belief system structure. But, you know, it's reported that they were in shock that, you know, these boats just seemed to come out of nowhere. They couldn't see the tall sailing ship that was anchored out to sea because, again, it, they, they had this sort of negative hallucination. It just wasn't part of their belief systems. So, you know, the, the sort of reporting goes on that within that, you know, those sort of experiences that, you know, the men, the Europeans would communicate with the shaman of the tribe. And the shaman was usually the first to be able to see the ship, you know, the tall ship, because, you know, let's be frank, that's the shaman's job is to be open to mystical experiences, to to see those realities within realities. And once he was able to do so, because, you know, the other members of his community put so much trust in him, he was able to then help them experience what was equally in front of their eyes. So, you know, with with, you know, Using stories like this to help people understand that, you know, even simple things such as when they they have the belief that they they laid their car keys down somewhere and now they can't find them and they have that belief. But I laid them right there on the table and, you know, they're not willing to see beyond that table. They search their house maybe two or three times and can't find the keys. And then eventually when they do, you know, they remember, oh, yes, of course, I put them there, but they were right under their nose the whole time, but they were being blinded by a particular belief system. So to me, these synchronicity walks really have this very special, um, you know, sort of way of open, opening people up, like, you know, this, this great cosmic can opener that just opens their mind back almost to a point to, you know, their their true nature, which I feel that's, you know, that is our true nature to be open-minded explorers i think sometimes people get you know sort of um they get too skeptical and and that gets in the way and skepticism is fine but you know it's ultimately it's a personal you know sort of uh, sets of bias and that will create you know limits to what people experience now the people in the group you spent you know a few hours with them did did you see any change in them after the uh, the walk the the change that you witness in people, yeah, is very transparent. Um, you know, I've had people that have literally had to sit down after an occurrence of, you know, not just back-to-back -back synchronicity, but back-to-back-to-back-to-back synchronicity to the point to where any skepticism, you know, this is, this is why I say in some of my talks, you know, um, I agree with people like Tom Campbell, you know, um, you know, the sign of a, of a true explorer is someone with an open-minded skepticism uh, and you know to that I would add you need to have a good sense of humor because when your belief systems of a lifetime when your uh, cultural sort of trance uh, you're suddenly being given a suggestion to wake up you know from your trance because I can I can assure you 
you know, there, there's, there's nobody out there beyond you that's, that is, is really capable of, of waking oneself up. It has to come from within. So, you know, when people have these direct experiences of synchronicity and it revealing itself to seem to be something that is beyond, you know, physical reality, something that seems to have their interest at heart, something that seems to be lovingly nudging them and looking after them and, and, and being able to see this bigger picture of, this, of their life, that is a profound spiritual experience. And like I said, sometimes people have to sit down. Um, equally, in the beginning, it can go the other direction. You know, sometimes uh, people uh, look at me as the leader of the walk. They might think I'm reading too much into stuff, but maybe what they're not understanding at that early stage of their their you know new awareness of synchronicity that you know synchronicities where does it start? Where does it stop? You know, if this is interconnected consciousness, you know, this is just one big you know ride of synchronicity. Uh, and, and to me, you know, you have another phenomena that goes hand in hand with that, which is manifestation. And I think, you know, at first, you know, if you're, you're only just opening a little bit to this, then you'll only see, you know, a little bit based on your, your new ability to, you know, what you're calibrated to. And I think that's just it. You know, the nervous system, we have to, on a, on a daily basis to, especially in our, our sort of, uh, um, spiritual awakenings, you know, just because we start to awakening to deeper phenomena of self, you know, the true nature of reality doesn't mean that we stop um, because any beliefs that we're now going to pick up along the way will serve us for a period of time. But then it's time once again to challenge even those beliefs to make sure they don't become ingrained and, and concrete, you know, ways of thinking. So, you know, we have to recalibrate every now and again. And I think, you know, a great way to do that is is through meditation. You know, I even suggest to people on the walk as part of the the counseling, if you like, um, that I have to sometimes give to people when their worlds do, you know, start to get shattered right in front of them through their own direct experiences, you know, to say to them, look, meditate on it. You know, maybe for the next few days, ask the universe, ask your guides, um, ask your higher self, your soul, whatever it is, you know, put whatever label, you know, applies the force. I don't, I don't mind what label they put, um, you know, and just ask that, you know, that, that non-human consciousness or that, that non-physical consciousness to, you know, show you more, you know, uh, you know, this is something I'm, I'm regularly do, you know, I would use gratitude, but I I'd say, you know, like when the experiences like this happen, I would say, thank you. Thank you. Followed up by more, please, you know, because I don't want it to stop. I want, I want it to continue. And I, I'm under no illusion of, of lack mentality whatsoever. So I know there's plenty for everybody, you know, consciousness isn't limited. So, you know, once again, synchronicity does not play by human rules. So I think, you know, we do in order to better understand these things, to deepen our awareness, to, to get the deeper meaning, we do have to recalibrate our nervous systems, which ultimately, you know, is our psychic antenna, our psychic antenna to be able to, you know, download new information, to be able to see realities within realities. Even when we start, you know, waking up to a deeper level, there's always going to be another plateau. There's always another level of, of experience. I wanted to ask, too, about, and I'm kind of playing 
devil's advocate here, no pun intended, but uh, <laughs> if uh, is and you kind of brought up fear a little bit. Do you ever get in a situation where some people won't go down a certain road because oh, I know somebody that got mugged over there, or I know it's a bad neighborhood, or you know something like that? Because I'm thinking if I do that right in my immediate neighborhood, I I'm I, I'm in a pretty good neighborhood, you know, within like a three block radius. But if I go to that fourth block, uh, I know that the police are, you, you know, usually there, you know, patrolling, you know, every Friday and Saturday night. And there's, you know, that that environment that could be potentially dangerous. Do you ever encounter something like that with these walks? Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of along the lines of what I was talking about earlier. You know, if you start you know, once again, thinking with the, the, the habituated fear, you know, that we have inside of us, you know, we get equally habituated behaviors of old that will take over as your guidance system. And, you know, when that starts to happen, you know, recalibration once again occurs, you know, the, the GPS, uh, the sat-nav starts to calibrate the, you know, recalibrate your journey plan. And at that point, if people's fear are, are too, just too great, like I mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, you know, sometimes people slip through the crack of reality, which basically means they turn around and walk the other way. And, you know, we, we don't see them anymore for the rest of that night, which is absolutely fine. You know, I will say to people at the very beginning of the walk, you know, we've, you know, this, you can, you can bow out at any point, you know, sometimes some of the synchronistic shenanigans that we get up to, um, you know, can, can really, you know, take people right to the edge of their comfort zones. Um, but to be honest, you know, like, you know, Neo would have experienced in the matrix when he's in the car under the bridge and it's raining and, you know, they want to take him, uh, to, you know, to Morpheus and, you know, he's nervous and he, and he wants out and they open the door and someone says to him, you know, you know, where that road leads, Neo, you've been down that road many times. So to me, you know, at some point, we have to sort of win. The reason we look away, if you like, the reason we don't want to go down certain roads, um, you know, is because, you know, that fear and that fear that we've never really worked with. You know, most of the time that fear is just in the background. It's just like background noise. And it's just enough to stop us from 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 doing new stuff. And I think, you know, in those moments, you know, we have to sort of remember that, you know, there if there is a bigger part of consciousness, if there's a part of us outside of physical reality, you know, the answer is not always to look away. You know, we, we look away because we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do next. We, we say to ourselves things like, you know, you know, if there's conflict taking place in the world that we see on the news, we say, well, how can I, you know, one person make a difference? And so we usually look away and we're looking away in fear because we don't know what to do as one person. And but to me, that's that's no longer the answer, especially in today's world, you know, where there is so much going on. And there are, you know, our brothers and sisters around the world that need us to start showing up. You know, we need to start showing up for ourselves and we need to start showing up for other people. So, you know, it's in those moments where, you know, when suddenly you feel like looking away once again, because, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed because you don't really know what to do, you know, the new way once again, should be recalibrating that nervous system, you know, re sort of conditioning that that psychic antenna, you know, and ask for guidance, you know, ask for what what can I do? 
point me in the right direction. You know, show me which search terms to use in Google. Um, I'm willing to see this. I'm willing to see this in a deeper and more meaningful way. And that's, you know, that's part of the equation. That's part of the answer for, for moving beyond this stuff. But yeah, you know, to answer your question, these, these walks can bring out people's, people's, you know, deeper fears. But when that happens, you know, you have to trust that people are, are for one, they're going to do what feels right for them. But hopefully in that moment through a lot of the, you know, sort of comfort that they're getting from the group dynamic, that will help them hold steady. It'll help them hold their course and trust that, you know, as a group, we can do it because too many people are just taking these very lonely journeys, not feeling very connected at all, you know, feeling very closed down. And this is another thing about these walks that I love so much is it's a way to connect people and help people really, you know, feel that interconnectedness that we talk about in spirituality and, and ultimately feel loved. That's really good. Uh, it, as you're talking about that, I, I kind of got uh, thinking about Wayne Dyer. Are you familiar with yeah. his work? Yeah. And, yeah, and he just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And it kind of reminds me of uh, as, right after he passed away, Hay House uh, started releasing a couple films for free for a few days. And I was able to catch the one where he was working at that camp. Um, I can't remember the name of the movie. And he had the, the film crew around him. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't uh, catch that. Okay. And he, the way you're talking it is very similar to the way he put that information out there in the, in the film where you just kind of like let go and just let the universe kind of guide you. And, you know, of course they, they wrote a story around it where it worked and it, it and it's also interesting to hear that. Uh, I also think too, that this is kind of how I think probably Jesus, you know, walked around when he was here. Oh yeah. He'd have been on a constant synchronicity <laughs> walk. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I mean, I don't want to go too far down a tangent here, but you know, it's, it's, you know, this is kind of how you know, the, the great spiritual teachers in the past have lived. And, you know, just letting the ego go and just what happens, happens. And just and to quote Tom Campbell, I, I think he said this, the point of life is that stuff happens and you got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of taking that out of context, but that's kind of the same idea here is just to let go and, you know, just follow the synchronicity, you know, just you know, deal with what comes to you. I absolutely... I absolutely agree, and I think you know this. You know this comes down to to ultimately you know learning to be one hundred percent responsible you know for our experience of life, and you know in in that entails understanding um, you know that we're ultimately you know living in in two worlds. Um, you know, we don't have to leave our bodies, you know, to have, you know, to have a, a, a sort of experience of parallel reality. You know, we have two parallel worlds that coexist right here on Earth. You know, one of them is the world of love. You know, the other is a world of fear. You know, one of these realities is very real. The other one is an absolute illusion. You know, with, with loving thoughts, we experience who and what we really are. And oppositely, with fearful thoughts... We experience the false world of the ego, which, you know, you're alluding to now. And, you know, we all have wounds that keep us attached, if you like, you know, to this world, you know, to relationships, to jobs, to situations. Um, 
you know, these are, you know, illusions of, of this false world of ego. But, you know, ultimately, you know, to, to me, the way to really heal this stuff, to really work through this, you know, ego, this false self, you know, is by who, being who and what you really are right now, you know, you know, this is literally the highest form of healing your, your wounds and transcending into this one true reality, you know, is, is being who and what you are right now. Because in the moment, you know, the ego can't, it can't be here with us. You know, the, the, the present is an egoless state. So, you know, this is one reason why the ego is constantly battling, you know, to, to bring our sort of awareness back to, you know, uh, the past or to project us into the future because it cannot reside here in the moment with us. So, you know, this, yes, this is a powerful part of the process of, you know, this deeper awakening. And once again, I think, you know, these synchronicity walks, um, you know, just really do have that ability to show people that even on the walks at any given moment, you have a choice to either, you know, sort of walk in that one true world of love or to walk in that, you know, that false world of ego. And, you know, this is what we all do, you know, in our everyday lives, we're, we're walking that line between those two realities. And we always have choice, no matter how little the choice may seem, you know, with our perception at any given moment based on our, our, you know, our state of consciousness, we do ultimately always have choice. But getting to that point of having that 100, taking that 100% responsibility for our experience in life, you know, that's, that's a challenging thing you know that's even at, you know, being at 99 percent responsible just that that one outstanding one percent is enough to keep us stuck in an old pattern so you know and it's typically i find it's the little things that are tripping us up you know most of us are being very responsible you know we're we're waking up to our responsibility as citizens within this world our responsibilities in our own lives and the interconnectedness that we share because even with things such as, you know, as we have conflict in our, in our everyday life, if there are people that we're in conflict with, if in spiritual you know, uh, sort of philosophy we believe in interconnected reality, then every single thought that we're having is having a profound impact on, if you like, you know, the idea of a metaphor, the hologram as a whole. The smallest change in the hologram is going to affect the whole hologram. So, you know, I think to get to that point to where we are being as responsible as we can be for every thought, for every feeling, for every, you know, behavior. Um, you know, this starts to, to be that change in the world that, you know, we all talk about. Um, you know, we just have to learn to get rid of all, you know, these, you know, as much as possible, these, these very limiting beliefs. That even we find within spiritual circles, because, you know, one thing we have to be aware of is that the ego is is really clever i mean it's it's clever to the point where everything you learn in any new system so if you're learning a new system of spirituality it is learning what you're learning in that moment it's learning too so it then finds oh wow look this is a new way that i can create you know i can use these ideas to to further my existence you know because the ego is always about self-preservation so if they can find new tools 
to preserve itself, to preserve its separation, its sense of separation, uh, which creates pain and suffering. You know, it will. You know, this is why sometimes we have the danger in spiritual circles when people, you know, start to feel that they're they're having a shift in their reality, they're having a shift in vibration, and they get to that sudden, you know, the point to where the ego uses that as a means to, you know, it, to, to say, okay, I can't be around people of a lower vibration anymore. You know, that's not loving. That's not being spiritual. That's the ego. You know, the ego, you know, finds ways to literally masquerade, um, you know, fear as, as love. You know, for example, you know, we've all had it. Somebody might pull us aside and say, you know, um, I just have to be honest with you. No, no, no. They're, they're not about to be honest. They're about to be mean. You know, um, you know, that's once again, that's the way the ego masquerades, you know, uh, fear as love. And it's those tricky little things because, you know, it gets all these new tools and, and ways to, to hide behind. So, you know, we have to really be aware, very self-aware as we go through this, this reawakening uh, that, you know, every single thing that we're learning will literally equally be used against us by the ego to, you know, to preserve its own, its own, uh, you know, reality, to preserve, you know, its identity. Yeah, very well said. I'm thinking, um, do you want to talk about the, uh, the next walk? Yeah, um, okay. actually, what I'd like to, like to go on to um, is a recent, um, uh, you know, I, I always ask myself this question, how far can I take this stuff? Um, so... We've recently, um, if you don't mind me, just with a quick little, you know, uh, self-interest plug, uh, we've we've developed um, because of the last podcast that we did with you, and we had such an outpouring of people wanting to know how can how can they run their own synchronicity walks? How can they take part? You know, I, I you know, they know I'm in London, but they'd want to do one of their own in Amsterdam or New York, and so you know, people are asking for guidelines on how to do this stuff. So uh, we've developed a new website called synchronicitywalk.com, which is, you know, this sort of global platform, you know, especially created for people to come together, you know, and share in this deep magic of synchronicity. You know, this, this website has, you know, all the resources necessary for people to connect with other like-minded explorers for the purpose of, you know, organizing synchronicity walks in their own towns, cities, anywhere in the world. Um, you know, we're using some really amazing technology like, like uh, Google Maps apps uh, that allow people to sort of like put a, a pin map in the marker, uh, sorry, a pin marker in the map and, and, you know, for their town or their city to let other people know they're interested in either hosting a walk or joining a walk. Um, so for anyone sort of interested in hosting their own walk, you know, we literally have information on the site that can support them, you know, a downloadable PDF guide, you know, which tells them how to plan, organize, promote, successfully lead their own very their very own synchronicity walk and for for anyone who's more inclined you know just to take a part take part in a walk as a participant uh, but if there's not currently a synchronicity walk being promoted in their location they can you know take a pen uh, marker and place it somewhere on this global map letting other people know you know their interests of joining a walk which someone else eventually will come along and host so you know, we really want to support people in being able to do this themselves. Um, you know, there's no charge for 
you know, them hosting walks, um, you know, all the information there is there to support them. So, you know, it's free for them to put up a walk. Um, it's free for them to join a walk. Um, you know, we're going to ask, you know, people who host the walks as much as possible, uh, you know, if they, are, if they are going to charge, you know, maybe just charge like I do sometimes in London just to sometimes cover the materials a couple pounds per person or a couple dollars per person, uh, which is fair because, you know, whoever does eventually lead one of these walks, you know, their time should be valued. So, you know, if that's all right, just to mention that. Um, but um, so in this sort of request, if you like to, to far, find out, you know, how far can we take this concept of synchronicity walks, you know, which, like I said, has this ability to, to open people up like a, you know, like a cosmic can opener, opening our minds, our hearts, to, you know, a higher quality ways of thinking and feeling and being, you know, can we experience the same weird and wonderful quirks of reality that manifest during the walks in, in other ways in our lives? Um, you know, the first time we talked, you know, I shared some examples of taking this concept on the road through synchron my synchronicity hitchhiking trips, where, you know, I'm able to experience all the exotic phenomena I would typically experience in a synchronicity walk, you know, all these amazing synchronicities, these revelations of connections, maybe meeting a friend of a friend, you know, on the road, um, you know, which, which really to me, you know, shows there's, there's no limits to applying these ideas, you know, in our everyday lives. And for me, the really exciting thing I find about following, you know, this breadcrumb trail of synchronicity, you know, is all the deep insights that get revealed along the road of life. You know, as an example, I recently went on, on, a, on one of my annual hitchhiking trips, um, synchronicity hitchhiking journeys, where I, I just pack a small backpack, I take my passport and my sense of adventure. You know, I really keep it minimalist as possible. And on occasion, I'll even, you know, my bank card, maybe I'll just take a, you know, a debit card and I'll just put something like a hundred, the equivalent of a hundred dollars in it. And I might be out for two weeks and, and I know that's all the money I have available to me. So I have to really, you know, trust that everything is going to work out. I have to really trust the guidance, get into that, you know, that real deep state of non-resistance. So, you know, so on this one, this latest trip you know I, I plan to be on the road for a minimum of of two weeks uh but as as it usually happens once again synchronicity like i said doesn't play by our, by our human rules and you know synchronicity synchronicity has something more in store for me beyond you know my personal limits and expectations which which i'm cool about now you know not always so much on the road because even for me you know this is this is always it's constantly pushing my own comfort zones um, and sometimes I'm not in the mood to have my comfort zones pushed. You know, I don't want anybody out there to think, you know, Todd's he's mastered this stuff. You know, it's fine for him to do this stuff, but I can't do it because blah, blah, blah. No, I haven't mastered this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still a baby in consciousness and, and I'm happily, happily so, you know, so as part of my usual preparations for these journeys, um, you know, I make myself some off the wall, wacky, crazy sort of, you know, hitchhiking signs. So say, for example, if I'm hitchhiking like I used to when I lived in America as, as a teenager, I'd hitchhike from Tampa, Florida, maybe up to Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. I would hold up a sign that would say Washington, D.C. And that way, the idea is that, you know, you would get somebody picking you up that's going further along the road than somebody that's just local traffic. So instead of getting maybe 50 lifts over a period of a few days, you're maybe hopefully getting one or two long haul 
rides and that helps you get you know to your destination but you know faster to your destination but the point here behind these journeys these synchronicity hitchhiking journeys i'm not um I, there's like i said there's no destination there's no need to arrive at a certain time so therefore the signs that i use aren't destination signs as such you know they're they're a little bit more sort of uh um just supposed to be playful so for example i had three signs on this trip so i got a bit of cardboard and some big markers and i and i wrote out my signs one of them said astral planes okay not a lot of people you know out there are going to know what that means but um you know, in, in, you know, on motorways and highways, you know, when they see the sign, they're not going to know what it is. So they're going to keep driving. Oh, I can't help this guy. But part of the idea here is that I don't want to just have anybody pick me up, you know, who just wants to talk about football for two or three hours. I want to be able to talk about something deeper, something more meaningful that really could make a difference to both of us or whoever's in the car. You know, it could be more than two people. So the second sign I had uh, simply read abduct me. Uh, which I thought, you know, was a little bit more risque, but, um, you know, I'm up for it. And then my final hitchhiking sign for this journey, are you dreaming or awake? Pick me up for a reality check. So, you know, I took my three signs and I, and I went off and stood on the highway, on the motorway, as we call it here in the UK. And the very first person that picked me up uh, was a woman who worked for the Ministry of Defense. So the MOD. And the conversation, you know, from the very beginning, you could tell was very, it was very stiff. She'd just come from, from work. And I think she was still in that, that sort of, uh, uh, MOD cultural trance, you know, so every level of society, there's a different level of this cultural trance. And, you know, of course, within the military, there's a different culture there than the military, you know, than the culture of, you know, uh, civilian life. So already, you know, Although she picked me up, there's still, you know, we have our personal boundaries. So there was that sort of stiffness in the beginning. And then it got to a point where we, I can't even remember how we got on the topic, but she was quite Christian and she started talking about gay rights. And it was something that deeply upset her um, um, in the sense that she didn't you know, believe in gay marriage and she therefore didn't feel they should have the right to get married. And, you know, that's not stuff that, you know, I don't share those beliefs, but, you know, I was sort of in that frame of mind, you know, something that is, is sometimes a, a real challenge, you know, to remember. But, you know, we have to be careful, you know, how we think about other people's spiritual journeys, because whether they believe they are spiritual or not, it doesn't mean they're not on a spiritual journey. And we need to remember you know, not to view their journey from a spiritually sort of superior perspective, um, you know, just because, you know, they are not on the path, you know, which, you know, that we're on. It doesn't make their path irrelevant. So you have to sort of, you know, be in this space, you know, to where, once again, that 100% responsibility, not hanging out at like 97% or 98%, but, you know, really you know, 100% responsible because every person we come into contact with, you know, we're kind of weirdly taught in relationships, you know, that, you know, we each have 50%, you know, responsibility for that relationship. But what happens on the day when one of the, you know, one of the two people or more people in, you know, bigger dynamic, you know, dynamics of relationships, what happens when they're having a bad day? What happens when, you know, they're, they're just really feeling down and low and, 
and not very loved, you know, that's the moment where we, if we don't stick at 100% responsibility for ourselves and for that relationship dynamic, then we too will get triggered. And what started off as somebody else's stuff, we make it about us. Whereas we, we, we should, you know, just allow it to be their stuff and let it be about them. But, you know, we're, we're all too quick in, in, you know, uh, in our culture to react to other people's stuff as if it's, something we need to take personally. So I, I, I let the woman have her opinion. I wasn't going to force mine on her. I just thought, you know, what I could do instead, maybe I could use humor. Um, and so, you know, I simply said, um, you know, when she was talking about the gay rights stuff, I said, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I said, um, I guess looking at it from a Christian perspective, you know, I, I look at something like the Ten Commandments, I said to her, and I said, you know, I don't remember there being a commandment that says, you know, thou shall not be gay. And, you know, she, she kind of gave me this, shot me this, you know, little look. And, and I said to her, I guess the closest thing that, you know, that, that comes to, to that might be, you know, thou shall not uh, covet thy neighbor's oxen. And, you know, that suddenly got a giggle from her. And she had a little, you know, she, we had a little bit of a giggle together. And it was, it was almost just enough, just enough to get her to maybe, you know, start letting go of that that religious you know sort of conditioning that religious trance that you know hey we're all humans here you know and ultimately regardless of you know our uncultural rate and culturalization you know what we're which can be useful you know it can, it can be useful it has its uses there's no doubt about that but you know it can equally be you know some of these things that you know we we don't challenge some of the thinking which can actually be dangerous for an entire culture and it's these things that, you know, we really need to be aware of and and be on our toes about. But, you know, anyhow, so we're having this conversation. She's lightening up a little bit. And we start talking about, you know, social activism. And she then states very seriously, she says, you know, people take love too literally. And, and, and she was talking about, you know, sort of hippie types in particular. And I sort of sarcastically quipped back, yeah, you know, the goal of some people to actually be loving um, you know, which again, got her to lighten up and think, wait a second, what did I just say? Did I just say, you know, people can be too literal with their love, you know, and it really made her see what she was saying. Because again, if we're in this deep trance state, you know, sometimes we say things that, you know, moments later or days later, we think, did I really say that? Oh my God. <laughs> so, so you know, that's how the conversation went. And, you know, we, this woman, literally, this was amazing. She pretty much took me to where we live. We live in a, an area outside of London called um, Bedford. And it's probably an hour's drive from London. I had my, my partner uh, drop me off closer to London because of the direction I needed to go, which was over to Wales, uh, because the first part of my hitchhiking trip was going to involve um, – only being one day on the road before I was going to give a workshop on, you know, other exotic states of consciousness like lucid dreaming and out-of-body exploration. And so my partner dropped me off at a place uh, which was, you know, easy to get that, that lift straight over to Wales because, you know, there was, a, a, you know, a timing that was important to be there for the next morning to give the workshop. So, um, and then after that workshop, I would be on the open road for two weeks and then, you know, no destinations. I could just have a lot of fun. So this woman picked me up and she wound up being, you know, um, she was going all the way to Wales and she took me all, all the way, you know, to where I thought I needed to be 
and dropped me off and I thanked her and I thought about it and I thought about the conversation and I, and I thought about how, you know, deep and, and, and such a special journey that was. And I hope that, you know, it was special for her too. And, and then I called up the organizer, um, uh, who was putting me up for the night, uh, accommodation wise. And, and she said, Oh, uh, you've gone, you know, 20, 20 miles too far on the, on the, uh, highway, on the motorway. And, and she said, would you like me to come and get you? And it, I could tell it, you know, from what the tonality of her voice, it was probably going to be a little bit of an inconvenience. And I said to her, you know, without hesitation, I was like, no, 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 it's absolutely fine. You know, this is what I do. I love hitchhiking and I know I'll get a lift and I'll, I'll be there soon. And so I got off the phone and I walked over to the opposite side of the motorway and put my thumb up. And the moment I put my thumb up, I mean, it didn't take long at all. Um, this van pulls over and I could see the driver and the passenger as they're coming towards me and pulling over. And, you know, instantly I started, you know, evoking, you know, uh, there was deep fears within me from my own cultural sort of conditioning, you know, from the West. These were two Muslim men. And so suddenly my my deep conditioning of, you know, Muslims, you know, some Muslims, radical Muslims being terrorists. And in some way in my in my mind, suddenly I saw these two men as, you know, they're in this higher van and, you know, and I was like, whoa, I, I, I don't, it just came out of the blue. It was obviously a part of me that, you know, really needed some attention here because, you know, that was not very loving, loving thoughts whatsoever. So, you know, these are the type of things like, you know, the question you asked me at the near the middle of this conversation with regards to how do some people react on these walks sometimes with regards to fear. You know, I'm now putting myself out here on the open road with people that um, I don't know them and they don't know me. And society has trained us to be fearful of other you know, people's beliefs and other people's ways of, of living. So, you know, you're going to encounter that. So my fear came out now to add to it. Uh, this Muslim man, the passenger, then jumps out of the van before it even stops. That makes him look a little militant. And, and you know, that, that in itself you know, was disturbing to this part of my psyche, which, which obviously you know, was getting its, its guard up. And this man, he opens the side door of the van, and you can see there was a partition wall between the, uh, dr you know, the driver and passenger compartment and the back of the van, and it was a wood paneled sort of paneling so where you couldn't see into the driver's area so instantly this this part of me once again was like reacting thinking i'm not going in the back of this van you know but you know in the end this guy was just making space for me to put my bags you know and and but you know i was being triggered and this is in those moments where we have to learn to self-soothe ourselves because you know in this you know sort of uh experience of life you know that we need to start taking 100 percent responsibility for when we start getting triggered like this you know it's a good idea to have some tools to be able to you know to to, to help us you know calm down and and in that moment for me you know, I, I used some self self soothing uh, techniques, and I was I was okay. And the guy got it back in the van into the middle of the. There was three sort of seats in the in the front, uh, so he got in the middle, and I sat towards the the passenger's window. And within just less than ten seconds, being in the van, suddenly the passenger announced to me, he "Goes, please don't stab me." <laughs> and, and, and the driver quipped in very quickly. Yes, if you're going to stab somebody, you never stab the driver. That's bad for everybody. You know, and we all started laughing. 
you know, and it instantly started to disarm, you know, each of us because in that moment, you know, there's this realization that, you know, all of us are experiencing fear, but none of that fear was, was, you know, valid enough reason to stop loving each other. That was not a valid enough reason to, to not be kind towards one another. So, you know, it was a very, very powerful moment, and I'm sure they felt it too. And we all started laughing because here I am, a, a, a you know, a, a Westerner, an American at that, you know, living in Britain. And I, they could tell my accent straight away. They knew where I was from. Um, you know, if any of your listeners are thinking, oh, he's not American. You know, I've been here 22 years in the United Kingdom, so it's it's taken its toll on my accent. And I, yeah, I have been Anglicized a bit, but um, but you know, they could tell. And, you know, they had their own sort of uh, fears that were coming up. You know, this is a Westerner. This is a, you know, from the U.S. You know, we didn't know we were picking up a Westerner from the U.S. So, you know, you had no idea what we're going, what was going through their minds. But literally within a short space of time from, from those little bit of uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, joking and playfulness, we were able to go deeper with each other. We were, be, we were able to go, you know, beyond the places where we typically get stuck, you know, where we get stuck in that fear. Um, you know, we were able to transcend deeper and, to, and before the end of the lift, which, you know, by the way, they went out of their way. They literally dropped me off at the organizer's house. And, and, you know, before the journey ended, you know, they were sharing some deep spiritual insights from their culture that didn't sound any different from from the the basic tenets within my spiritual conditioning and it, it was just a beautiful all-around experience so you know this is yes our stuff is going to come up in the ordinary living of you know experiencing life but once again you know it's learning to take that responsibility to that level like i said of 100 percent because you know if you know one of if the the passenger um really was you know that fearful and i just did things to confirm his fears that wouldn't have gone down well for any of us you know we wouldn't have been able to to talk you know along the lines that we did we wouldn't have been able to share you know our our you know cultural insights with each other to see that there was commonality which is very important because you know this is the danger of um of cultural trends you know we we get into this this sort of um we have this shared belief system and that our belief system is the correct belief system and that other cultures are wrong you know, and that's that is the real danger of this stuff, you know, and, and not realizing that there are other, you know, belief systems based on reality, you know, that make reality. So it was important for both for all of us in that, in, you know, on, on that in that moment to be able to see that we shared commonalities and that we could relax and we can now discuss other ideas that, you know, and we just seemed by the end of the the, the short, you know, trip we were that car journey we shared together. You know, it was like three long lost friends from a past lifetime being briefly reunited. And it was really powerful, really quite special. Um, I then did the workshop the following day. And then, uh, you know, the day after that, I was back on the road again. And um, the organizer who hosted me for the night, she dropped me off at this um, uh, motorway services. Uh, I haven't lived in America for so long, but whatever the the highway, you know, side uh, places where people stop to take toilet breaks, bathroom breaks, you know, um, she dropped me in one of these places. Um, and I got out my very sort of special dice. I've got, um, you know, really interesting dice that I use, you know, for 
you know, specifically calibrating my, my hitchhiking journey and letting go of the control. So I have two type of dice. I have one dice, which, um, which, uh, is a die that I use for actually choosing one of the three signs. So, uh, if there's six numbers on the dice, one through two would be for astral planes, uh, three for four would be abduct me five and six would be, are you dreaming or awake? Pick me up for a reality check. And the second die I have is called the kindness dice. And it tells me what to do. So there could be on the dice, it would say something like, you know, give somebody a gift. Um, it just has symbols and you have to, you know, there's a, there's a little description that comes with them, a little key. So there's one that's, uh, gives me a gift. Uh, one gives me a compliment, another, you know, smile at people. So I roll the dice, uh, as I'm standing there in this, um, this motorway services and I roll the dice for abduct me for the sign for abduct me. So I was like, Oh, okay. I haven't used that one yet. And I rolled the kindness dice and I got some um, smile at people. And I was thinking, Oh wow, this is going to go down well standing on the side of the road with an abduct me sign with this big broad smile on my face. And so I wound up um, standing there. Typically it will take me on average, maybe 10 to 15 minutes to get a lift. Usually no longer than that. Sometimes when it's longer than that, you know, it could be for various reasons. It could be, you know, a poor traffic area where there's not much traffic coming. through. There was plenty of traffic. So there was nothing out of the ordinary. Let's put it that way. I wound up being there on, on the roadside for a total of five hours. And again, this was highly unusual. Um, you know, and I just knew that I had to remain in this state of non-resistance because I'd had other experiences previously that showed me that if I stay in non-resistance and I just stay in that flow, what is probably happening behind the scenes is one heck of an orchestrated ride. Maybe the driver for this particular ride is not on the road yet. Maybe they've been delayed and I have to just roll with it. You know, otherwise the ego comes in, you start having doubts, you start doubting yourself, you start, you know, thinking, okay, I need to do something else. I need to change the signs or whatever it is. You just go with the flow. So I went into sort of plan B and I just took out a book and I sat down next to my sign and I started reading. And the moment I did that, this guy pulls over, picks me up, and he asked me where I'm going. And, you know, I didn't want to freak him out um, saying, oh, where are you going? Because you know, <laughs> I had I had nowhere in particular to be because this is now I'm on the open road and I can go anywhere. I've got my passport. I've got my dice. It doesn't matter where I go. I'm just there to, you know, experience reality and to see realities within realities and have a really fun, playful experience. So I said to the guy, um, you know, I've been here for a few hours now, so I, I, I don't mind which direction you're going. To be honest, I'll, I'll take a lift and you can drop me somewhere. So I got in the car and and it was really um, interesting. He, he asked me uh, where I lived. And my partner had only recently moved to Bedford from London. And we, I'd been living in you know, London for you know, 22 years. And I instinctively just said, oh, London. And he said, oh, OK, I'm going to a place called Bedford. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, and so I said to him, I said, actually, you know, that's where I've just moved to recently. I've lived there for a few months now. So yeah, I live in Bedford. And he was like, oh, great. Well, look at this. You know, you get a lift all the way from Wales all the way home, which was like a three and a half hour you know, trip to go all the way back to there. One lift, you know, and I waited for it for five hours. But, you know, I had to explain to the guy, I said, okay, well, actually, no, I'm not going back home at this moment. I'm, I'm, you know, on the open road, I'm doing this thing called a synchronicity 
you know, hitchhiking trip where I roll dice and I do this and I have to follow the signs of synchronicity. And, and then he was like, oh, okay, well that makes sense. And, uh, and I then said to him, yeah, but, uh, you know, I've only been on the road a few days so far, but my, my partner is already really missing me. And she keeps sending me SMS text messages to say, you know, I'm missing you. Um, you know, I hope, you know, synchronicity brings you home to me soon. And, and, uh, I told this to the guy and he was like, okay, suddenly, you know, he became this agent of synchronicity and he was like, okay, so let me get this straight. So your partner is really missing you and sending you messages saying, you know, I hope synchronicity brings you home soon. And here I come and pick you up and I'm going all the way to Bedford and you want to go somewhere else. And, and suddenly I was presented with this, this, you know, this challenge, um, you know, if I am in true resistance, you know, then I follow, you know, the trail of synchronicity. I follow the signs, which basically means right there, this guy is the sign. The guy is, he said to me, he goes, look, you could go and go anywhere else like you're planning to, but you know, this might be one of the signs you're talking about. You know, you can go home and you'll be home in three and a half hours and you can surprise your partner and then you can get back on the road again tomorrow. And I was like, who is this guy? You know, he's really, really deeply getting this. And so I thought, you know what? Yes, I have to get into that and stay in this non-resistance. And so, you know, I said, fine, let's go to Bedford. Let's see where this goes. And so now this three and a half hour lift, um, a few minutes more into the conversation when we do the socially acceptable, what do you do for a living sort of thing, you know, questions, he reveals that he works for military intelligence. And, you know, um, right off the bat, he started talking, you know, some very hard line stuff, um, you know, things, for example, um, about Edward Snowden, you know, the, the individual who, you know, released a bunch of classified documents who is now, you know, on the run in Musk in, in, in uh, Russia. Um, you know, he's, he's like the number one enemy of the U.S., you know, sort of uh, state at the moment. So he starts talking about, you know, Edward Snowden in a way which, you know, I found not very human. I found to be, you know, once again, that that military cultural trance, you know, where they have that status quo that they can't challenge and they're deeply sort of indoctrinated into. And it gets to the point when, you know, cultural trance is that that deep where people become almost inanimate, inanimate objects almost. You know, they they tow that party line. They don't challenge the beliefs that, you know, they've been programmed with for a lifetime. And and so you know, I, I said something to him when he mentioned something about Snowden, what Snowden did, and I said something about, you know, the equivalent of what sometimes our governments do. Like, say, I, I used, for example, the example of the Iraq war, you know, using the idea of weapons of mass destruction to get us into the war and then finding out those actually wound up being lies by the intelligence community to, you know, to get us into that, you know, into that region. And, you know, he kind of paused and he thought about that. And then he turned around and you know, I won't mention what he said uh, because it won't be fair to him. But, but he said something that suddenly, you know, was a complete reversal of of his, you know, sort of uh, ideas and beliefs, which made me think, oh my God, wow. Um, you know, he basically mentioned a head of state in particular who he thought, you know, was a war criminal, and I thought, oh, okay, well, I'm sure you don't share that in the uh, cafeteria at the, uh, you know, military headquarters, <laughs> and. <laughs> But, you know, it's once again, because I was being human, because I was using humor, because I was, you know, you know, just holding a space instead of just saying to him, look, no, you're wrong. You're you're absolutely wrong. You're not right. I'm right. 
you're wrong. You know, if there was a big, you know, if this was a game show and there was a big buzzer, eh, you'd be wrong. You know, that's just going to get people's backs up. So, so simply by being human towards one another, we both started moving into this, you know, this new dynamic. And, you know, once again, I was just mindful, you know, being careful that, you know, this guy's on his own spiritual journey and his is just as, you know, relevant as mine. You know, just purely because, you know, it's, it's currently he's at a different phase in his development doesn't make it any less so. So we started to talk and over the period of about an hour, he became more animated and more animated and more animated, you know, as we talked, you know, to the level of animation where, you know, it was more that natural levels of being once again, you know, beyond that normalized social conditioning, you know, his trance was slowly being lifted, you know, through loving, compassionate, you know, kind, you know, conversation. And, and, you know, it, it really, if you like, guided him back to being human once again, you know, and not just being this, this entranced robot, which, you know, sometimes we can become if we're, if we're, you know, we, we, we're not willing to challenge, you know, these, these sort of collective belief systems that maybe at one point served, you know, to, to protect, um, you know, maybe hundreds of years ago, you know, when there was chaos, but, but now, you know, we have to look in at our world in a different way. We're a, we're a community, and this this is the only world we've got. You know, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in multidimensional reality, but that's no excuse to say, hey, well, if you know we screw this up, then we'll just go back to the astral planes. You know, that's not loving thinking. You know, that's that's not the type of thinking that we need. You know, for for like Einstein would suggest. You know, we keep attacking. You know, sort of uh, each other and and beating each other with the level of at the level of effect and and not using that higher level of thinking that einstein talks about that is actually going to solve our problems so you know it was a very profound conversation once again and you know by the end of it when he dropped me off you know it was almost like this guy had transformed in some to to reveal himself as some great spiritual master you know that's that's how deep it went and Everything was there inside of him already. He just had to be in the right space to where he could feel he wasn't going to be judged, where he could feel that he, you know, he, he was going to be loved regardless of, you know, the things that he said. And this is what I find, you know, once again, the ego thing, you know, sometimes people, you know, the ego will, will use, you know, you know, something like, um, you know, our own agenda to mask it as, you know, something loving when he, when ultimately it's just a way to be mean to each other. And, you know, we just had a human conversation in the end and it was really quite special once again. So my hitchhiking trip pretty much as when I got back and he dropped me off, um, we live on a houseboat on, on the river in Bedford and, and my partner saw me walking up the, the road and she just came out and she, you know, classic movie toward a moment running towards me and threw herself into me. And, you know, it was beautiful. And I had the option to go on the road again. But then, you know, there was a series of things when I got back, which suddenly made me think, OK, you know, there's some stuff to be done here. You know, suddenly things have come up, but it was all perfectly timed. And, you know, there was a part of me that was sort of screaming out, it's not fair, it's not fair. You know, I was meant to be two weeks on the road experiencing deep synchronicity and reality at its best. And now I'm back already. And it just began. And, you know, part of me was thinking, you know, I needed quantity, I needed quantity. But the quality of those three hitchhiking lifts that I got were so powerful. 
it was enough. It really was enough. I mean, again, the ego will tell us it's never enough. You know, we're not good enough. You know, other people aren't good enough, blah, 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 blah. But it was enough. It was, it was, yeah, it was enough. <laughs> Do you think when you were stuck on the road for five hours waiting for a ride and the, you had the abduct me sign? Yes. Do you think maybe if you had a different sign, you probably would have been a little more relaxed with it initially? There, and there is, there is that. You could ask that, yes. And that would be a valid question. But it's one of those things where I was also sort of watching people as they were driving by. But it almost as if people weren't even looking. It was almost as if I was invisible. They weren't even really looking at the sign. Whereas typically, you know... I'm, I'm, you know, six foot five, um, you know, you can't miss me, but yet it almost just seemed as if I had a cloaking device on and, you know, it's one of those things where you'd have to really be there to really evaluate the situation. But to me, from my perspective, it almost seemed like I was being obscured from being seen because this one lift was the lift I was meant to get. And because I really, you know, have practiced this you know, for such a long time. And, you know, I have a lot of, you know, belief or faith, uh, you know, whatever you'd like to call it in this, this way of living my life, you know, I got this reward. And that reward was this, this, what could have been a very challenging conversation, because, you know, equally, that was pushing a lot of my own personal buttons, because I come from a military, you know, family, and I was that classic black sheep, you know, within the family, I was always ostracized, you know, for being different, you know, I was always ridiculed, um, marginalized, you name it, you know, and that, he pushed a lot of buttons in the very beginning of the conversation, and it, it really showed me that, you know, what I had learned over the years that, you know, I was strong enough as a human being to practice what I was learning, but, but that's just it. It was because it wasn't just something I was intellectualizing. I was actually practicing this stuff. I was applying what I believed, what I learned. And that took me from that place of this being something just intellectual, you know, to being something that, you know, changed my actual behavior. It enhanced my consciousness. You know, I've become a little bit more emotionally intelligent than I used to be. And all of these things have served me. And I, and I really do feel that, you know, part of that particular hitchhiking trip being picked up by that particular individual was partly a healing experience for me because of all that repressed anger that I had as a child, as a teenager, and even as an adult where, you know, sometimes my family still look at me and think, what an oddball. You know, why didn't this why didn't this guy just get it? Why didn't he just get a normal job? Um, you know, and to to have this conversation with this this person who, if you know, the conversation had gone another way because we both got triggered and got our defenses up and started, you know, saying no, you're wrong, I'm right, and started blaming each other, you know, it would have been something entirely different. And I we would have just been in sort of victim mode, you know, both of us probably in the end, or one in an aggressor mode, you know, one in a, a victim mode, and. But in the end, it was a human conversation, and both of us got to get beyond our conditionings, got to be able to be human again, to be animated again. And yeah, I, I think actually, in that case, I think I actually had an invisible cloak on that I wasn't aware of. Uh, but it, but you are right. I mean, sometimes it can be that way because obviously, uh, body language alone, nonverbal communication can account for more than eighty percent of all communication. So you know, if I was uncomfortable about the sign. 
that could have obviously translated to to people driving by and not just in the nonverbal sense of my body language, but equally in the sense that if this is interconnected consciousness, every thought that I put out there on the airwave is going to impact you know those who I come into contact with or those who I'm in contact with. And, you know, this is possibly even a, a, an area to, to lead into a whole new sort of line of, of, of um, observation and discussion. Uh, there was an out-of-body experience I had recently where I wound up on another dimension of reality, which was immediately adjacent to this one. So, you know, um, vibrationally not too distant from, from here, not quite the astral plane proper, but, you know, somewhere in those intermediate uh, sort of territories and the environment I encountered, I was there and I was, you know, having a discussion with some of the individuals there. They knew I was not from that place. They could tell that. And and suddenly these rather large, alarming uh, hailstones started pelting us from the sky. And and then these individuals looked at me with this this sort of negativity and this this uh, with a bit of. Uh, uh, I guess, resentment. And I sort of intuited it because, you know, when you're in the out-of-body state of consciousness, you can more readily, you know, tap into, you know, the the airwaves telepathically. And what I was picking up from them was that they were they were really angry at me because those hailstones were actually emanating, you know, was their their environment was being sort of, if you like, manipulated because of all the uncontrolled human thought and emotion that was emanating from our physical world. And it was literally showing up, impacting their weather systems within their adjacent reality. You know, this is interconnected consciousness. And this is a, a, a powerful demonstration of, you know, why we need to be more responsible just for, you know, our own backyard. You know, we, we literally are unconsciously having an impact on environments beyond our physical realm, beyond our physical world. And it was upsetting, you know, communities and on other levels. And again, this wasn't the astral plane proper. This was an intermediate environment between, you know, our physical earth plane and the astral planes, what we'd call, you know, the, ast the astral planes, the afterlife state, the interlife state, whatever label people like to use. And, you know, and I just felt, you know, the energy of negativity that was being focused back from their environment back to our environment, you know, that would have then impacted us. Even if it was just, you know, having an effect on our weather systems, if it was having an effect on us emotionally, you know, this is, again, an illustration of this, this need, I think, that we all, you know, have to, to really, you know, be more open, to be able to be in a position to where we we're more open human beings. We're in a society that allows us to be more open again because there are so many of us are just so closed down, so overwhelmed with, you know, with what's going on in life and, and not feeling any support. And, you know, this was just, like I said, an example of how we share emotional airwaves, not just on this level of reality, but between other levels. The stories are just so interesting. And, you know, the, the, the walks, the, even the hitchhiking, you know, it's each story that you tell would make like a really good movie. <laughs> and it's, uh, I don't know, I just find it fascinating and freeing. And it's kind of like an inspiration just to hear it. And, you know, the, the walks, I just want to, you know, as soon as possible, get out and start putting up signs and <laughs> try and doing the same thing. 
<laughs> well, like I said, we're you know we're we're looking forward to supporting people with um, you know with the new website synchronicitywalk.com, and you know it's you know it, to me it's it's just one of these areas where you know if people can start validating you know that more you know that more that people you know are intellectually understand, but to have that direct experience. You know, it really starts to make that deeper shift. It take, it has that deeper ability to have that deeper shift within people. And, you know, this is just a great way to validate that, you know, that reality is more than what it seems. Um, you know, synchronicity has that ability to really, you know, sort of ground us into the moment and remind us that there is this underlying energy to our everyday lives. And, you know, for people to, to, to literally go from intellectualizing this to have direct experiences of it, like I said very early on, you know, th these are profound spiritual experiences that come from this sort of, you know, living life this way, being willing to, to, to have these experiences, and the reward is the validation that comes from it. You know, it's to me, it's you know, a parallel is is the validation that comes from shared out of body experiences. You know, I've had so many shared out of body experiences with you know people that I've trained over the years with with my own family, my son who's you know 16 years old. I, I trained him from when he was eight years old to have experiences, and like most children, you know, at that age, they're naturals, they're absolute naturals, but. To be able to find ways to validate that, you know, we are not just these physical beings, you know, we are here having this amazing human experience and to be present in this reality, to have an in-body experience, you know, of, of high quality, you know, this is something that I think we all do aspire to, but, you know, the high quality comes from having an open heart and an open mind. You know, the low quality experiences come when our, when our minds start to close and our hearts start to close. And I think, you know, that's why this validation is so important, whether, you know, of, of that more, that more of who we are. And, you know, again, things like synchronicity, things like shared out-of-body experiences, you know, shared dream states, um, you know, many other ways that people can seek, you know, sort of validation of their 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 spiritual nature, you know, the, the true nature of, you know, of, of reality. Do you hear any stories from other people? that do your synchronicity walks do you get any feedback from walks that you're not going on but from people that maybe follow you on facebook or something yeah absolutely it's um that's a that's a good question and yes uh, i get feedback regularly from people who you know do take the plunge and their experiences you know when they really trust the you know there's there's one thing that i think is important for people to understand about synchronicity you know, synchronicity is not a process. It is something that happens in an instant. You know, and if you are able to, you know, your fears, your own limitations, you know, of lack, again, synchronicity is not human consciousness. Therefore, it doesn't operate by human rules. You know, it is always there. So, you know, if we can start to see beyond the idea that this is a process that has to happen, no. This is this is a, something that happens in an instant. It just is always there. You know, it's as if it's you know, it's an it's an everyday you know sort of reality. But at the same time, it's not. You know, it's it's a reality within reality for those who are not in a position to experience it through whatever belief you know they currently have that stands in the way of that. But 
you know, it is something that can happen in an instant. And I think the exact same thing holds true for manifestation. You know, you can apply as many processes to it as you want, but parallel realities in my sort of experience of reality, you know, is, 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 um, you know, there it's real. It's to me, it's real. And there's a version of you that is experiencing so many different things. You know, we're not just these, you know, single beings in a single body, in a single world, in a single universe. You know, we have parallel versions of ourselves that are experiencing a lot of different stuff. And, you know, any given moment, we're capable of aligning ourselves with those other aspects of self and experiencing that stuff in the moment. But it's once again, we can suggest there's processes if that really helps the ego mind, if that really helps that part of you know, our, our mind that has become to a state of lack and, and need to see, you know, that sort of linear moving from A to B. You know, I understand that. I get that. But that is not these exotic states of consciousness. You know, they're not limited in those ways. But, you know, just, just to make sure I've answered your question, you know, yeah, the feedback I get from people, like I said, if they follow that process, you know, of, you know, just letting go, you know, if that be the only process, just to literally follow those simple guidelines, which, you know, they can make up their own guidelines. They can not have to have any guidelines. They can just, you know, put themselves out there and see what happens. But most people will report back to me that, you know, they had life-changing moments, you know, not just sometimes, you know, what's really quite interesting when, when we have a designated time, we usually wait around 15 minutes for everybody to arrive, and then we have to get going at some point. You know, I'll then get a call maybe 10 more minutes into the walk that somebody showed up to the meeting point, and we're now gone. And I say to them, well, you know, we're, we're here at this intersection. If you, you can make your way there, you can meet us. And if you don't meet us, then enjoy your own synchronicity walk. You know, your own private synchronicity walk. And when that happens, people report back to me like the next day with an email, you know, saying, wow. I just trusted that I could have, you know, my own private experience with synchronicity and I had the most amazing time. I, I found places of London that I've never been to before. I spoke to strangers you know, for the first time um, and this happened and that happened. And it literally is a, it's a total life changer. You know, they're, they're, they're saying that, you know, they're sitting there at work sending this email and looking around them as if they've just woken up from the matrix. Is there anything you want to add? or? Um, well, if you don't mind me just making one little plug. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I, did wanted, I wanted to mention to everybody that um, we, we had an idea, um, my business partner and I, we have a, a business together, um, which we've mentioned on the last show, Pandora Star. We've actually decided we want to give people around the world the opportunity to experience this, this light. And so we've come up with an idea where we want to have people, um, we're going to have this program where we're going to send one Pandora star, um, you know, deep trance uh, meditation, light machine, whatever you want to call it, around the world. You know, we're literally, you know, we're going to have a whole string of people who are going to have it in their home for three, up to three days at a time. And then they're going to pay Pandora star forward. You know, they're just like a pay it forward system where they're going to just send it to the next person in the chain. And we want this light to just go absolutely everywhere. Um, you know, every country it can go, you know, touching people's lives, you know, showing them, you know, what can be done, you know, with the light that they can do themselves without the light. You know, everything they experience on the light, they can experience without the light. It's just a matter of, you know, increasing 
you know, the, the quality of their practice, you know, their daily meditation practice, you know, sure, the light can give them a powerful psychedelic experience. But, you know, we want, you know, we want them to realize that, you know, this stuff can take place without, you know, those machines, without the technology, you know, the technology is, is, is great, it can help us get from A to B faster. But, you know, to really help people, you know, reveal to them, you know, things, you know, because sometimes people are on the light and, they have experiences that once again, you know, just change something, shift something instantly. And it's enough for them to then sort of, you know, get back into a practice or apply more quality to their practice. So we'd like people to be aware that if they'd like to take part in this, you know, we're literally going to send this device around the world. You can host it in your home for three days. You can have all your friends go on it, you know, take it. Uh, we're even sending it out with a portable battery pack where you can take it out in the woods, you can take it to the Statue of Liberty, you can take it to Red Square in Russia, you know, out in the outback in Australia, anywhere, and you can, you know, have six continuous hours of use, so you can, you know, get in anybody you come across to have a go on it, and it's just, you know, we're just, we love people to just take part in this and help us get this light out there to see the world, so, you know, if I can just sort of plug that, that's, um, we'll, we'll be putting that up at pandorastar.co.uk. Uh, All right, very good. Now you just have one that's going out? Um, well, we've had an overwhelming sort of uh, outpouring of people from the UK, so we're probably going to send a second one out to, you know, just the UK. We've had such a response from our home country. But we've had a good 50 people from around the world already, so if they're all hosting it for three days plus travel time, we're probably looking at a good 200 plus days so far that the light will be on the road. And to be very honest, if it stays on the road for the next few years, the next decade, we won't mind. <laughs> Yeah, you should probably do something where you can, uh, like everybody's on, are you on Instagram or Twitter? We're, yeah, we just recently set up a Twitter account, um, which we'll put up on the on the site because we're, we're not entirely sure if we're going to keep the account we've created or whether we're going to create something else. So, but we'll put that up on the, on the website. And, you know, even, even yourself, Mike, you know, if you'd like to be part of that chain and have Pandora Star come to your neck of the woods, then, you know, we'll put you down on the list. All right, yeah, definitely. I'm sure April will be into that too. Cool. And uh, well, I was thinking, you know, if everybody, you know, when they get it for their three days, and say they are out in the woods or they're, you know, in a city somewhere, they could take a picture with it and then, you know, hashtag it, just so you kind of have, you know, like a an online album of like every location it's been at and you know, the fans that have been using it. And oh, absolutely. I mean, this is part of the plan. Definitely. We want, we want everybody's stories. We want your pictures. We want your videos. You know, we want everybody to be able to, to share in this. And so, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. That sounds very cool. I definitely have to try that out. Cool. All right. Well, thanks Todd. I know we were, we're over the two hour mark already and uh, you know, we had some minor difficulties in the beginning, but it, the stories were always amazing. I always like listening to, you know, your your stories and adventures and we're going to have to do our own here pretty soon. <laughs> well, if you do, please let me know how you get on. Yeah, definitely will. And we'll, you know, we always want to have you back every few months just to keep us updated on uh your your walks and, you know, the Pandora Star, see where that's traveling to around the world and Well, I appreciate that. You know, I've, it's an honor to be back on your show and, you know, I'm I'm really look forward to um you know somewhere down the road where we can connect again if you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our dvds you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com they're also available to purchase on amazon.com 
Our films are also streaming online at Vimeo.com, GuyMTV.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs>